Hi, I'm Isok Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Monday, October 17th. Since its beginning 100 years ago, Hollywood has been a deal town. M&A, investments, IPOs, the behind-the-scenes deals that fuel the industry. They're a constant source of speculation and gossip around town. Who's got the best studio deal? Which agency may or may not be buying which other agency? That kind of stuff. When big deals happen, only in retrospect can we evaluate whether they were good or bad. George Lucas retaining the rights to Star Wars. Pretty good deal for George. Steven Spielberg's deal at Universal gave him a small piece of every ticket sold at Universal Studios. That's translated to hundreds of millions of dollars over the years, according to my sources. When Jim Carrey was paid $20 million for The Cable Guy, it set a new standard for movie stars. But then the movie wildly disappointed at the box office. So who was that a good deal for? Jim Carrey, not for the studio. Rupert Murdoch famously paid $580 million for MySpace in 2005. Then he sold it for $35 million in 2011. Not great for Rupert. More recently, Disney paid $4 billion for Marvel. Paid for itself very, very quickly. And a pretty good deal for both sides, if you ask me. Today, we've got Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg on the show, and we're going to go through the deals of the past 10 years and take a look at how they played out. We're going to pick our three best deals, top three worst deals, and we've got to defend our choices. And I'm sure listeners will have their own ideas. If you have things that we missed or stuff we should talk about, feel free to email us at thetown at spotify.com. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw. Lucas, welcome. Great to be here. We will not be talking about the team that shall not be named, the Major League Baseball franchise that spent $260 million on its team this season and lost in their first round of the playoffs. We will not be talking about that team. But we are talking about big deals. You and I cover deals pretty extensively. Hollywood is a deal town. And it's fun to look back and evaluate. It's not a draft. This is a, we are naming the best and worst deals of the past 10 years in entertainment. And we're going to go best to worst, count down the top three in each. You're going to start with best. Then I will chime in with worst. We'll have thoughts. And then we'll go second best, second worst. And finally, the best and the worst deal of the past 10 years in Hollywood. All right, let's start with the third best deal of the past 
10 years in Hollywood. Take it away. So, so, so my one caveat is we discussed this beforehand, but I'm not including the Facebook Instagram deal, which I think we can all agree was a, a no-brainer winner for Facebook. It's a, it's a, about 10 years old, but let's just put that to the side. Yeah, that is, Facebook buying Instagram for a billion dollars is probably the best deal of the century um, for social media, for sure. But we're not going to talk about that. Maybe Google buying YouTube. I would, I would put Google YouTube one, Facebook, yeah. Instagram second, but... Uh, I'm I'm cheating a little bit with my first for third place, which is a tie. Two very related sports deals, both tied to betting on niche sports that boomed with media rights. One of those is Endeavor buying the UFC, which was widely dismissed at the time as them overpaying dramatically. What did they pay for that? They paid about $4 billion for it. Okay. They now and that, have, And that was in what year? 20, they, they bought half of it in 2016 and then added the other half before going public because that's sort of what they needed to convince investors that they were a real public company. The media rights for UFC have gone through the roof since then and are, are, are not going to go down anytime soon. And my related deal, which was basically the same size of deal, was Liberty Media buying Formula One. Um, which by cracking the U.S. market, it has turned into a far, far more lucrative deal. It's U.S. media deal alone. It did like 20 times with its most recent ESPN package. Wait, so you picked two deals for your number three best deal? I told you it was a tie at the beginning. All right, two all right. I see deals. how this is going to go. I see how this is going to go. Um, all right, I have no quibbles there. What was the price on the F1 deal? I think it was 4.6, although the report said that Liberty actually only put in about $300 million. So it might have been a lot of debt, might have been a lot of outside financing. So here's a question. Has anyone ever actually overpaid for sports rights? I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure that there was a there I'm sure that there there was a time in this in the 60s or 70s like in the 70s maybe people bet on basketball before it its popularity declined for a little bit, but e everything has always bounced back and and delivered for people. Yeah, I'm wondering if something like the Amazon billion dollar deal for Thursday night football is going to be an overpay. Th Thursday or... night football has always been one where the media companies that bought it said that they overpaid. Um, yeah. But they get ancillary benefits out of it, so it's really hard to tell. I mean, Olympics is another one. Okay, Remember? so what? What's? What, I'm I'm trying to keep us on the clock here. What's your okay. worst deal? Uh, so my third worst deal of the past ten years, drum roll, is Disney buying Maker Studios for six hundred and seventy million dollars in two thousand fourteen. Uh, for those who don't remember, Maker Studios was a creator network. They put together a bunch of creators and made videos and put them on YouTube and other platforms. And Disney decided that it needed to own this company to compete in the digital space. It then merged Maker Studios into Disney Digital Network, a new division that it created in 2017. But by 2019, this division was gone. So a near total write-off for Disney in the digital space. Disney does not have a great track record in the creator arena and this is probably its biggest failure in that arena. Yeah, my only my only problem with it is that that a deal that size did not really matter to Disney. I mean, it makes them look silly and they wasted a bunch of money, sure, but it was a sub billion dollar deal for like a 250, I mean now 250 billion dollar company. But don't you agree that Disney has failed to position itself for this next phase of media where the creators rule because if they had done that right, they could be a player. They could have it, their well, own version of a you know, talent showcase for 
digital media. I think, but the answer to that for a Disney would have been to buy a platform. Like they they did explore buying Twitter. They could have probably looked into buying YouTube or Instagram or any of those others. And they effectively did it in their own way with uh with their deal for for the deal for BAM Tech and other things to build up the streaming service because their streaming service is their bridge to the internet and that future and staying with very premium. Going into that the kind of the creator economy and the user-generated space. Sure, they they could have done something there, but all the businesses that are just sort of creator businesses are relatively small, uh, with with a couple of exceptions, including one I'm about to name. Yeah, I was going to ask why haven't Maker like studios been successful? Because Maker didn't the the problem with Maker, which a lot of people didn't realize at the time, uh, was that Maker didn't own anything. Maker was a network that amassed scale through signing these deals with all these all these channels that were popular, and it it sold some ads on their behalf or it handled distribution in certain places. It didn't own any IP. All the relationships were transactional and temporary. Anyone could leave at just about any time. And trying to compete in ad sales with the platform itself, with a YouTube, with a Facebook, with a Disney, was sort of a uh, you know a, a fool's errand. And so there just wasn't a lot of value there. All right, big fail. Let's go to number two best deal of the past ten years. Take it away. I'm I'm bridging off of your Maker Studios fail, failure to what was clearly a, a very good deal, which was. Uh, a company called Moonbug buying Coco Melon. It paid sub two hundred million dollars for Coco Melon. Coco Melon, <laughs> bane of my existence. So Moonbug is this uh, Europe-based uh, kind of kids media company founded by a former Maker Studios executive named Renee Reckman, and he decided, learning from the failure of Maker, that he needed to actually own the underlying YouTube channel IP. He targeted kids, which we all know is a very lucrative space. He started with this thing called Little Baby Bum, modest success. He bought Blippi, modest, slightly bigger success. But the real moneymaker was he bought Cocomelon. I don't don't think they disclosed the actual price, but he bought it at the same time they raised like $150 million. So let's just say, there's no way that he paid more than you know, $100, $200 million for it. He then sold his company to Kevin Mayer and Todd Staggs, two former Disney executives, for $3 billion. And the valuation is only going to go up because Cocomelon remains the single most popular kids franchise on both YouTube and Netflix. This guy is like the Haim Saban of the digital age. Haim Saban built his entire empire on buying the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for almost nothing, and then exploiting them on every single platform imaginable. Um, and I would argue that the Power Rangers at least have a plot and a story. <laughs> Coco Melon has neither. Um, but well, that's the knock on it, right? When I when when we did our our franchises pod a little bit ago, and I put Coco Melon as like my number three or four or whatever it is, or our IP draft, I should say, someone reached out to me afterwards and said that I was crazy because there was no story to it, and that it would it would burn out in three years. Not yet. I'm sure they're hard at work creating the backstory for all those annoying characters. All right, let's move on to the number two worst deal of the past 10 years. I'm going to go with Yellowstone. The fact that Yellowstone is on Peacock for streaming, despite being owned by Paramount, one of Peacock's biggest rivals. And the story of how that happened is very interesting. I actually wrote a long column about this about six months ago. If you're interested, go to puck.news. You can find it. But the short answer is 
this show was a hit on the Paramount Network, the cable network, when it launched. It's owned by Paramount. But at the time that it debuted, Paramount was two companies. It was CBS and it was Viacom. And they had not yet remerged. So when it came time to sell the digital rights for the show, all they wanted was money. They were not thinking long-term about building their own streaming service because the company, Viacom, didn't have one. Their sister company, CBS, did have one, CBS All Access, but Viacom didn't. They wanted to make their numbers, so they took the show out to the market. Peacock, the fledgling streaming service from NBC Universal, decided that this show was promising, was getting an audience, and they wanted to buy it. Then, after they bought it, it airs on... Then, after they bought it, the season... Then, after they bought it, season two airs on Paramount Network, becomes a much bigger hit. Then the pandemic hits, and everybody is like, wait, there's a Kevin Costner show that's on TV right now? So they're like, hey, we'll try this show. Peacock gets a huge boost out of having Yellowstone. Everybody watches it during the pandemic. It then premieres back for the third and fourth season on Paramount Network, and it's get breaking records, a huge hit. Paramount has the biggest hit they've ever had in cable, and they don't own the streaming rights. Big fail. What do you, and you think that was much worse than Vamis effectively doing the same thing with the whole back catalog of South Park and giving it to HBO Max? Uh, yeah, because South Park is South Park, and it will always be one thing. But Yellowstone is like th- that is the launch of their franchise like they do other stuff with yellowstone and not having that original series in order to base it all on i think is a pretty big deal obviously the south park catalog is hugely valuable but they can get that back in fact they're already making moves to get that back they've tried to get yellowstone back and comcast has basically said f you we're keeping this thing so we'll see This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, The final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Now we are on to the best media deal of the past 10 years. See, to me, this is a a no-brainer. Granted, I didn't initially create rankings. I just made a list, and I was told to, to put a ranking quickly. But if there is one deal that changed the media business the most over the last 10 years, it was... It was Netflix buying House of Cards. Oh, really? Maybe on Netflix's side. Make your argument, then I will counter. I mean, the argument is simple. Netflix was not in original programming before that point. They buy that show. It puts them into original programming. It is a, hu- it is a phenomenon, and it causes them 
to to make this big investment, become the most popular TV network in the world, which then has cascading effects and makes everyone else do that. I mean, it's the single... in in kind of core Hollywood, it's the single most significant thing that happened. The only thing I'm realizing as I say this is that I've broken our very own rules and Netflix bought House of Cards in 2011. And it aired in 2013. It aired in 2013, which is within the, the time. All right. So first of all, House of Cards was not Netflix's first original show. They yeah, actually launched it was Lily Hammer, I know. before that and Hemlock Grove, both of which did okay. House of Cards was their first hit, and they paid $100 million, and they gave David Fincher and MRC, the producer, a you know a two-season commitment and when everyone else was only offering a pilot. So it was innovative in that sense. But the fact that everyone's like, oh, my God, House of Cards was so genius. I mean, it wasn't like it was rocket science. This was a very expensive show that Netflix just decided to pay for. And MRC, the producer, gets all this credit for you know being, oh, future looking they went with netflix and over all these other no they went with the company that was going to buy the show on the terms that they wanted you know nobody else was offering this ridiculous deal so they said okay we'll take it here we'll get paid i mean it was an amazing deal for mrc which produced it because they own netflix didn't require to own the show overseas they were able to sell house of cards as a non-netflix show so this was this was really a it was an inevitability in my opinion. Okay, well, this well, two was things. going to happen with something. Two things: one, House of Cards premiered before Hemlock Grove. Lily Hammer was the only show before House of Cards, which was an extension of a Norwegian show. It totally counts, but it's a different banana. Uh, and they did the deal for House of Cards, I think, before Lily Lily Hammer. The other thing I'd say is, sure, it was an inevitability. Now you say that in hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty. Netflix had tried to go into original programming in 2004, 2005 with something called Red Envelope Entertainment. It blew up in their face. It didn't work. Ted Sarandos spent a bunch of money that they didn't get back. This time it did work. You could say the same thing about, oh, they decided to do a deal about anything. Sure, Moonbug decided to buy Cocomelon because it's the most popular channel on YouTube. You know who could have bought Cocomelon? Netflix could have bought Cocomelon. Disney could have bought Cocomelon. Comcast could have bought Cocomelon. They all have big kids' businesses. They didn't do it. True. I'm just saying that if Netflix comes to the table with billions of dollars saying, you know what, we're going to do it for real this time. We're going to be players. It was House of Cards. And yes, it was a hit. It was a hit right out of the bank. So that's great for them. But they were going to get a hit in the next year or two on something. And it was just this one that did it. So good for them. I just hate to I don't like seeing House of Cards always cited as like, the great innovation in content. Oh, I'm not saying it was innovation in content. I'm just saying that deal and choosing to go in at that moment with that show was smart and it paid dividends. <laughs> and you can say, I mean, what what has been the most significant show for a streaming platform? I would I would actually argue it's something different than House of Cards for Netflix. What would you argue it is? I would think it's Stranger Things because that is a show that will arguably if they do it right live forever they will have spin-offs they will have at some point a theme park ride they will have they will have, they will that will do for netflix what the big franchises have done for disney and house of cards like they were debating whether to even keep it on the service after kevin Spacey went down with his allegations. It's not about long-term... Obviously, in terms of long-term value, Stranger Things is more significant, both because it can be a franchise universe and because they own it. Now, they've thus far largely 
failed to exploit it as other companies might. Um, I'm just talking about from a, a deal significance, like how it changed the future of something that was the most significant deal uh, and and as a result, the best deal. And there were there were men. I had a list of about seven or eight that we didn't get to, but I think I want to hear your worst. Well, hold on before before we go there. I would argue that Mandalorian is probably more significant for Disney Plus because it was Disney was late to streaming. It needed to get back in the game, and right off the bat, they had a gigantic hit based on one of their biggest franchises. And it has been the model for the Disney Plus exploitation of IP across Disney, you know, the, the, their streaming service that they've replicated over and over again. Well, that is the argument for Disney Lucasfilm being the number one pick, because even though they've had their problems on the movie side, that TV show alone as part of Disney Plus pays for the deal. Yeah, the big deals that the best deals that you did not mention, I would put Lucasfilm being acquired by Disney in 2012 for four billion dollars um, up there. I mean, that deal paid for itself almost immediately. And I think an underrated aspect of that deal is that Disney got ILM, the special effects house, and ILM has been instrumental in doing shows like Mandalorian, which are digitally produced. They do not do extensive location shoots on those shows because they can now do the pre-visualization. They can create the world digitally. And that is going to be the future of content, in my opinion, is much more digital production than physical production. Um, and Disney got that with the ILM Lucasfilm deal. What what else did we miss? Oh, I put I had Universal doing a 10-year deal with Blumhouse in 2014 as, as uh, up there with the best deals of the decade. Just because Blumhouse has been a hit factory in horror, which they, has been it, one of the yeah. most resilient theatrical uh, franchises out there. Um, and they got a stake in the company. And I think ultimately Universal will buy Blumhouse and they got the inside track uh, with that deal. Yeah, um, I had that was that was on my that would have been in my top five for sure. And I had Amazon buying Twitch in 2014 for 970 million. Um, Twitch had 55 million users then. And now it has 140 million. Um, and then I had the 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 free ad supporting streaming buys, Viacom buying Pluto TV and Fox buying Tubi, um, which sets them up for free digital television going forward. I'm I'm with you on the Amazon Twitch, although I think it causes them as much of a headache as anything. All right. So finally, the worst deal of the past 10 years. And for me, it is a tie going with your theme of picking two and one you're cheating, I'm cheating a little i'm cheating a little but this is more of a, a it's, it's an award for the worst deal maker of the past 10 years not just the worst deal because there are two deals that are tied for the worst and they are both done by the same company we are talking about at&t the phone company from dallas texas buying direct tv for 49 billion dollars 67, if you include debt, in 2015. That was when DirecTV had 20 million customers in the U.S., and it was only downhill from there. They then offloaded DirecTV to a spinoff for a significant haircut. Um, that was only the first deal that they did that was horrible. They also bought Time Warner for $85 billion in 2018, Time Warner, obviously home of the Warner Brothers studio, HBO. And then after only three years, they realized that, hey, we might have to spend a lot of money to compete against Netflix in the streaming game. Then they just, they decided to spin it off for $43 billion 
to Discovery in 2021. Both horrible deals, money losers for the AT&T shareholders, both interestingly spearheaded by the same guy, John Stanky, who is still the CEO of AT&T somehow. Who is now kept, the CEO of AT&T. Well, yeah, he, he sort of leveraged both these bad deals into getting the CEO job and is still there for some reason that I don't understand. Uh, but AT&T, the biggest loser of the past 10 years. So you want to know something? Uh, I actually had the Time Warner AT&T deal as one of the, the best deals in my, but from the perspective of Time Warner shareholders. Oh yeah. I mean, they got, they, Jeff, they got you out could of that. sold at the perfect time. Yeah, exactly. But that's, I mean, that's not what we're evaluating here. We're evaluating <laughs> the overall success of the deal. In the best case scenario, both sides feel good about it and do well. Uh, so I'm not I'm not giving Time Warner that much credit, even though it was great for, for shareholders. For all the employees of these companies, it has been a very rocky five, six years since this started going down. So the only one that um that uh that you left out that I would probably have put in somewhere was Sinclair buying Fox's regional sports networks, uh, oh, which yeah, used horrible to be a deal. huge, huge asset for Fox. It was one of the only things Disney didn't keep uh, when it it bought those the the businesses from Fox. They bought it for I think ten or eleven billion dollars, and in less than a year wrote down almost about $4 billion of that. I mean, the, the regional sports network business was a great business from like the mid-90s until about five years ago. And then it just started falling off a cliff and it's not getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, because if you had those regional sports networks, you could keep, put the cable companies over a barrel and extract huge fees because everybody in that market had to see their team. And then the fees got to a place where the cable companies were like, you know what? There's a lot of people that don't like sports. We're not going to pay five, six, seven dollars for this channel. You got to bring your price down. It was an impasse. So, and now it's you know with everything going to streaming, it's just a total shit show. I don't know what's going to happen to those networks. It's it's a great mystery. A lot of people wonder if sports leagues are going to end up creating essentially their own versions of it. Um, but but I'm but, not and sure. Sinclair now has a don't they have a streaming option for these? And they're like charging astronomical yeah, but they, prices. There is a streaming option. I don't think they have all the rights that they want, but yeah, there is a streaming option. And they've and they've they've offloaded some of the. Uh, I think there's they now have financial partners, or they they always did. But um, I tried to think if there was a good talent deal that fit uh, as like a total failure. Well, you could look back on some of the Netflix overall deals from the last five years. You know, the Ryan Murphy now has a huge hit on Netflix in the Dahmer show. Uh, but that one, the $300 million for Ryan Murphy, not not great until now. Uh, the Kenya Barris deal, he, the creator of Blackish, went to Netflix for a nine-figure deal. Ended up doing that weird Curb Your Enthusiasm-style mockumentary show and then leaving for Viacom. So that was not a great deal. Um there's probably others. I mean, I, I've looked at the past few years of overall deals, and some of them, I mean, Seth MacFarlane has a $200 million deal at NBC right now, and what has that got them? Not much. Yeah. We're going to look back on the past five years of these exorbitant talent deals at these streamers and be like, wait, why do they do that? For some of them. I just don't know that any of them are big enough, like, are, are big enough to... 
to damage a company that much. Yeah. I mean, but. Warner Brothers clearly is rethinking that J.J. Abrams bad robot massive deal because they're not greenlighting some of these huge shows that he wants to make. What What's the best or worst deal that, that didn't happen that should have? The worst deal would have been Disney buying Twitter. I mean, that would have been a slow-moving car crash. Can you imagine trying to police that thing with near the Walt Disney Company? You know, Bob Iger, the CEO, getting up there having to defend white supremacists and, you know, trolls on Twitter. Uh, it, would, it would have been a total disaster. Um, all right. And the best deal, the best deal that never happened, that should have happened. Are you, you're going to say Netflix Paramount? Yes. Netflix should have bought Paramount. I mean, it's very clear at this point that the problem Netflix is going to have over the next 10 years is franchises and real IP that people care about. It was just sitting there. Paramount was a damaged company. They would have had to buy these cable networks that they didn't want, but you do it. Your market cap was so big. They were, their stock was flying. They could have spent peanuts for Paramount, bought the lot, got the entire library, and then you spin off the TV networks if you don't want them. I do think that it's a no-brainer that Netflix should have used its $700 stock price to buy something, something significant. Um, and something with with a library uh, and other assets, and it could have figured out what it wanted to do with the things it didn't want it. Although then we wouldn't have had the glory of Top Gun Maverick in theaters. It would have gone direct to Netflix uh, if Tom Cruise made it at all. But we'll see. All right. That's it for today. Uh, we will We will expand upon this topic later. Maybe we'll do a whole pod on the deals that should have happened. Um, but thanks, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. My daily prediction. Craig, I was way off on the Halloween ends box office prediction on Friday. Uh, that is my bad. I predicted it would be over 55 million. Came in at the low end of 40 million. I think it was like 41 million. I heard it was pretty bad. I did not anticipate how much the fans would hate this one. And it got a C-plus cinema score. Smile, the Paramount movie, the, the other horror movie, is still doing really well. Plus, it's available on Peacock. And that's the thing. If people hear that a movie's bad, they're like, oh, maybe I'll check it out. I didn't think Peacock would hurt it that much just because it's only in 15 million homes. Um, but apparently, everything conspired to hurt Halloween Ends. Still, 40 million, not bad for that movie. My, that is not my prediction today. My prediction today is about the Netflix earnings that are coming out on Tuesday. At Netflix reports their quarterly results, and they are predicting, they have predicted, a gain of a million subscribers this quarter. They currently have 220 or so million subscribers worldwide. They predicted a gain of a million after losing subscribers for the past two quarters. My prediction is that they will beat that estimate, and they will actually grow subscribers more than the one million they have predicted. Is this the beginning of Netflix's return? We'll see. I, I think that I think the gain will come mostly because that Ryan Murphy show Dahmer was a much bigger hit than they anticipated. That show is like the second most viewed of all time in the first 28 days. So I think that's going to lead to some sub gains. It still feels like every time a true crime, like there's just like three massive true crime hits every single year. Yeah, that's what people like. I mean, I don't watch that stuff, but I know people love it. Uh, the interesting thing will be if the stock market actually cares about the subscriber gain. That used to be all anyone cared about. But Netflix has this advertising tier that is about to launch. They are going to charge 7 bucks for Netflix with ads. 
And that's going to be a huge game changer for the company, probably the most significant change to its business model since they went into streaming. And this is going to be all the analysts care about. Uh, are you going to, are you, you are a famous Netflix password user, sharer. Are you going to now be convinced to subscribe for seven bucks? No, because, well, <laughs> it, it, it depends how severe this crackdown is going to be. If they, if yeah. they boot me off. Well, Basically, if they enforce their rights, you're going to have to pay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to pay for the full service. I don't want ads. I don't want ads when I'm watching the Great British Bake Off. Uh, that's very important. You can't have that interrupted for any reason at all. No. Um, I am in your boat. It's either for me, it's either you're free or I'm going to pay you what it costs with no ads. I don't want the ads, but I think a lot of people are going to pick the ad model because they just don't care enough. They're willing to watch. Netflix says it's only going to be three or four minutes of ads per hour. Um, they're going to have beginning end and maybe one or two breaks per show, but that's what they start with very quickly. I'm sure it will ratchet up and in five years, it's going to look like not broadcast television. I predict. Okay, that's the show. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. I want to thank our guest, Lucas Shaw. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.